Another installment of the Scrum, WGBH News's politics podcast. I'm Adam Riley. I'm here at WGBH's Sleek Studio in the Boston Public Library next to the Newsfeed Cafe. So that's why you might hear some steamed drinks being made in the background or chairs squeaking. Uh, more to the point, I am joined by Andy Metzger of Statehouse News Service, Mike Dean, also of WGBH News, and Lauren Dzenski of Politico, Massachusetts, to talk about the 2018 governor's race, which I will grant you is very far away, but there are some recent developments that have made, I happen to think, discussion of the race and the Democrats who may end up taking on Charlie Baker appropriate, albeit a little bit early. And right off the top, I would highlight the fact that Seti Warren, I think, is, tell me if I'm wrong, no longer a probable candidate for governor, but actually really a, a de facto candidate for governor, despite the fact that he's not officially running. Because to my eye, he has said and done things that make it abundantly clear that he is, in fact, going to be a candidate. Am I, am I going too far calling him a de facto candidate, Andy Metzger? I think you can still call him a probable candidate, because what if he doesn't run? What if he decides not to run? He hasn't officially declared. You know, there, there's some... Um you know, talk about fundraising, you know, he's hired up John Walsh, but... This is Seti Warren, this is Seti Warren. hired John Walsh, who for some of our listeners, many of our listeners will know, but was one of the big brains behind Deval Patrick's out of nowhere march to the governorship way back when. Right, and, and you know, hiring up John Walsh is, is a pretty serious indication that clearly something is happening, and yet I... It's still not official. So we we in the media need to do our jobs and be as as clear and honest and accurate with the situation as possible. I kind of call BS on that because uh, part of our job is also <laughs> on, on to identify. No, what Lauren, <laughs> no, Lauren's right that we have Fake to news. we have to follow the rules and of of what a candidate is in every step of the way. But when we really extrapolate it out to being, oh, well, this person is considering a run for their exploratory committee, and the exploratory committee is now launched, but they aren't a candidate yet. And we see this a lot on the federal level quite a bit with presidential candidates, but we also see it at state level. It's like, come on. He's, he's not running for, said he warned, not running for re-election. He's hired political, a big shot, to back him up, to build a campaign, a guy who's run a successful gubernatorial campaign before. Andy's right that he could decide not to run, but for, if you take the relative definition of candidate, then yes, he is. But, but he, I think he's the top of the heap right now. But, but there's, there's an opportunity to, to add that nuance and to put that into copy, right? Like you say, like, oh, he's done X, Y, Z, which would normally indicate that, you know, he is clearly going to announce that he's going to run. But at the end of the day, he has not actually announced. Yeah, and that's, that's 12 words to say, yeah, he's probably a candidate. Right, but, I, but still. I want to get back to Seti Morin in one second, but since, Lauren, you introduced the possibility of Charlie Baker not running for re-election, and again, perennial caveat for this conversation, this stuff is highly hypothetical, so we really are kind of, think, um, what, what's the... It's a parlor game. Recklessly speculating here with a little <laughs> parlor game, but do you think that there's a significant chance that Governor Baker might decide he's not going to seek re-election? I would be shocked considering the over $4 million in his war chest. Yeah. Um, but again, like he, he made it clear even on... Uh, with uh, Jim and Marjorie today that, you know, he and Karen Polito aren't officially going to make a decision until next year. But again, like, he's clearly ramping up for something. But I, I will just say, and, and you want to butt in too, um, I will just say that I think 
this election, the outcome of the presidential race has changed things for Charlie Baker in a way that I don't think anyone expected, much less Charlie Baker. So the how, have, how has the race changed things for Baker or because, the outcome? Because now he is forced to work with an administration that he made it pretty clear that he wasn't on board with to begin with. But he's also the lone Republican kind of who has to work with with the Trump administration in a way that none of the Democratic elected officials from our state, which is basically everyone else, you know, they get to be the thorn in the Trump administration's side, whereas Charlie Baker, in an effort to, you know, whether it's preserving his budget goals and things like that, he needs to come to the table with the Trump administration in a way that no one else does. Even if he would rather not. Right. So that, that's a total crazy aside, but that, that just complicates things a little bit more. Mr. Bedinsky, Andy Metzger. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Bedinsky. Uh, I did want to put in just to say that the reason I would be shocked if Governor Baker doesn't seek re-election is whenever he's asked about another job, uh, whether it be, you know, the presidency or a job in the Trump administration, he says, no, I love my job. And I, I believe that that's true. It, does, it doesn't seem like it's forced out of him. He's but not lying. I, I would agree that the governor wants to be the governor. I mean, when he was first elected and his numbers were basically as high as they are now, they're, you know, they've dropped a tiny little bit. We were just talking about second terms. We were talking about third terms with Charlie Baker. We're talking about the Charlie Baker one-man dynasty here. When you mention numbers, you're talking about His approval, approval ratings. ratings in the high, you know, low 70s yes. or maybe now high, uh, high, high 60s. 60s now. So is it possible, just to harken back to what Lauren was mentioning, is it possible that, uh, and we have no idea what's going to happen over the next four years nationally with Trump coming into office, is it possible that the downside of being Charlie Baker in a Donald Trump presidency and being asked by journalists and being uh, you know, criticized by Democratic politicians every time the president-elect or a member of his administration does something that here in Massachusetts we see as deeply unpalatable, that that could make Governor Baker decide that, in fact, there might be some other jobs he'd think about enjoying in lieu of, of remaining as governor? I don't see why not. Oh, yeah, I mean, he says he, he won't work for Trump, and I understand that. And he, he's got work to do in Massachusetts, and he wants to. Um, if he's following the Bill Weld model, then, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll wander. Uh, but, he's, but I guess what I'm thinking of is, uh, let's say, hypothetically, that, uh, and I don't want to get bogged down in presidential politics, but let's say President Trump decides, okay, yeah, there's going to be a registry of Muslims, so uh, I need help from all the governors of all the states making sure all the Muslims sign up for this registry. Maybe then Charlie Baker will really have a hard time reconciling his role with his own deeply held personal beliefs. And over time, that sort of thing, I guess what I'm trying to suggest is could make him decide, you know, this is really a, not a wonderful moment to be governor of Massachusetts. And that's I think, what I was trying to put out. And, and I think Republican. you're absolutely right. And, and I think that's yeah. also why we're seeing, like, Democrats are criticizing Governor Baker for taking this wait-and-see approach with the Trump administration. But honestly, that's really the only approach that he can take right now because we really have no idea what a Trump administration is going to look like. And we're only going to know once those policies actually start coming out. And, you know, Charlie Baker, you know, needs to make nice, at least for now. And yeah. then... You know, who knows what's going to happen after inauguration? Adding to the uncertainty, we might think we know after three months, and then it could be the exact opposite. Exactly. We have no following. clue. Okay, so Andy Metzger, if, in fact, a probable gubernatorial uh, challenger, Seti Warren, becomes actual <laughs> Democratic uh, gubernatorial challenger, Seti Warren, how good of a candidate would he be? Suppose he's running against Charlie Baker. Well, he's a military veteran. 
he is an executive now in Newton, which, albeit doesn't have the challenges of most of the other cities and towns around the state, but he has executive experience, which is something some other candidates, who's, or potential, sorry, possible, probably less probable candidates, uh, lack to some extent. He has both of those things. I don't know. I, I haven't really heard him as candidate Seti yeah. Warren. Whenever I've talked to him, he's been, quote-unquote, focused on getting Hillary Clinton elected or focused on being the mayor of, of Newton. So we'll see. We'll see if he can kind of bring bring stuff out that makes people think, yeah, I want, I want to switch horses. I can't tell if you are being really, really dry in that description or not. Like when you say every time you talk to him, he's quote-unquote focused on getting Hillary Clinton elect- well, elected. Well, you have to imagine he's... I mean, he is thinking about this. You have to imagine that it's on his mind, but uh, he hasn't betrayed he hasn't that say in any yeah. conversation. I forget yeah. that he ran for U.S. Senate. Like yeah. He's already shown that he has ambitions beyond uh, Newton City Hall. But, but every time... In, oh, every time ahead, that we, sorry. Uh, every time that we as reporters talk to him, whether it's, you know, you know, pinning him down in Philadelphia or something like that. It's not pinning, that's really weird word choice. But like, you know, every time you, you know, try and grab him and say, hey, you know, where do things stand for you? What's going on? He is extremely on message. And he very much, you know, made it clear that I am still mayor of Newton and, you know, I'm here for Hillary Clinton. And, and there is no, you know, showing of his cards necessarily of, you know, being interested in something else. But yeah, Dean, you're absolutely right. Like, Clearly, he wants something else. Clearly, based off the hires that he's doing, like we, it's up to us to kind of read between the lines. And you know, he's he is still the presumptive candidate, but like clearly, there's a steady march towards candidacy. What did you guys think of him when he uh, made that run for Senate? I'm going to stick my neck out here, and I may get a, an angry call from perhaps Mayor Warren or perhaps John Walsh. But to harken back to our recently concluded presidential race, I found Seti Warren a, a tiny bit low energy. Maybe. Ooh, um, yeah, no, and I'm just, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you want to be, obviously, if you're running for the, the top job in the state, you want to be someone who kind of sets people on fire. I'm not sure that that description applied to either Charlie Baker or Martha Coakley in the last race, certainly applied big time to Deval Patrick, who I swear is going to be, will go down in my mind as the most naturally gifted candidate I've ever covered as a reporter, but that's uh, another story. So am I being too harsh describing Mayor Warren as a tad low energy? No. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Andy Metzger. That's going to do it for us. <laughs> he just butted in uh, and stole the show. Um, within the confines of that U.S. Senate race, which was, this was the Warren one, right? Yeah. That, uh, Elizabeth Warren eventually came and said he exited gracefully uh, and kind of let her, her take over. Um, yeah, was was he not the best candidate at the time? He had only want, run for you know the city of Newton mayor a couple months ago. What was it like nine months beforehand? Uh, he was wet behind the ears. Yeah, okay, fine. He was an inexperienced candidate. That was that was four six years ago. Um, this is going to be a very different uh, candidacy, and I, I think that from what I have seen from him since, yes, just the fact that he is so clearly on message and he is so on the ball, the way you were talking, Lauren. Uh, means that he might be a lot more professional of a candidate ready to go, whether that means he can, um, you know, do uh, Deval Patrick-level inspirational speeches. I I don't know, but I don't know if you have to. 
Um, when you talk about him being, I, I want to actually just as a little aside talk about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing to be relentlessly on message. Because when I use that phrase or variants of it, I think of it as, as kind of bad, simply as a member of the media. You're a reporter, wants, yeah. Exactly, exactly. No, we hate and I think, yeah. there, I think there are some candidates who are gifted enough that they can be relentlessly on message but sort of make you not notice that they're relentlessly yeah, on message. Maura Healy, and, Charlie yes. Baker. Oh, yes. Elizabeth Warren Elizabeth is Warren. the absolute Absolutely. empress of only saying five things she wants to say. And, and you Extremely know, successfully, I should yeah, <laughs> Frustratingly successfully. Um, but... This isn't, but again, like these these elected officials or these you know aspirationally elected officials, they're not playing to us when they make these statements. Like they want us to write down and report what they're saying, but at the end of the day, it's they're appealing to the voters. And if you can convey things repeatedly, you know, with certain messages, like that, that's good for them. Yeah, um, that's a good and point. I, and I would also say, you know, if you work in campaigns, you want your guy to be on message. Good point. Good, two very good points, actually. I hate to think of them not playing to us and having other Oh, it's so mind, frustrating. Why are we not the center of the universe? Andy, what were you going to say? Well, there's some other fundamental aspects of 2018. The income tax, $2 billion oh, yes. on the top earners that is very likely to be on the ballot, as well as a repeal of the transgender uh, rights access law. So those could be potentially wedge issues. I would guess they benefit Democrats, but I don't know. It's certainly, I mean, Charlie Baker has not yet said, to, to my knowledge, I oppose this $2 billion uh, tax increase, but it'll sure be, be put to him. And just one last thing. Oh, yeah. There's Go another, on as long as you want. While we're in silly season, and I don't think it's so <laughs> silly, Dan Wolf, a yes. form, uh, soon-to-be former mm -hmm. senator, Ran an airline, Cape Air. I, I think he's he's got to be thinking. I mean, he's yeah. said everything but that he's thinking about it. Yeah, let's by Absolutely. by all yeah. means, let's talk about the other candidates who are, who are uh, looming out there as possible contenders for the Democrats. And let's stay on Dan Wolf for a second, Lauren. What's Absolutely. your take on him? Um, no, I, Dan Wolf. I think is a serious contender. I think um, Republicans being concerned about Dan Wolf is more of a narrative than Republicans being concerned about SETI Warren. Dan Even Wolf, though they filed that campaign finance complaint <laughs> about SETI Warren not reclassifying his committee or whatever. Or, or he was, like, fundraising and whatever. Yeah. You know, Republicans can go after whatever they need to do. Obviously, they can, they can do more than, you know, walk and chew gum. Um, but Dan Wolf is that kind of principled, like, successful Massachusetts businessman, but also, you know, checks the boxes socially. You know, he, he ran a successful company, but also, you know, paid, you know, his employers or employees, you know, fair, fair wages and gave them health care. Dan Wolf fits that bill, I think, more closely than, or he, he's more of a Charlie Baker than, than a Seti Warren is, and I think that that appeals to that. But, and just to kind of go back to something that John Walsh had said um, last week or so two weeks former ago. former Massachusetts Democratic Party head, yes. former Deval Patrick advisor, now SETI Warren. Now working for Warren. Yes. So this was the night before he announced that he was working for SETI Warren. He basically said that he hopes the Democratic Party has a very competitive primary. That's the best thing that they can do, at least he sees. Yeah. And that's because then, you know, they can dredge up and see other candidates that, that would ultimately then go on and defeat Charlie Baker. But, and this is the last thing, and then over to you, Dean. Um, 
John Walsh also makes very clear repeatedly that as of this time in the like silly season calendar year. I think every time you guys use the phrase silly season, we're encouraging people to stop listening to us midstream. So let's call it (laughs) this is extremely exciting run up. Exciting run up season. Important time. Proper noun. Fabulous. Um, during, during important <laughs> this, time. I like during important time, like with the I and the T no, cap. Right. Okay, like, so during important exactly time, Lauren Dzenski. During important time. I don't um, know what that sounds like. <laughs> but, but Maura Healy and Deval Patrick weren't yet a part of the public consciousness in their previous races. So, yeah, we have known entities that could be very compelling, but there are also people that we don't know about. But I think we also have more names that we can talk about. Yes. yes. On that point of a contentious Democratic primary for governor, uh, if we look at the, again, we don't want to look at the presidential election example all that much, but another factor we need to remember is that Elizabeth Warren is going to be the top of that ticket, or, or yes. close to the top of the ticket, running for re-election to the U.S. Senate. She is also, most likely, as it looks like right now, going to be the uh, anti-Trump-in-chief uh, she's going mm-hmm. to be the voice of the opposition. Maybe, you know, it, it might not be that way two years from now, but it certainly looks like she is going to be a huge national figure. She is going to have a huge reelection campaign. It doesn't look like there, there's too many Republicans coming to the woodwork to challenge her. Um, I know a certain, uh, I know a certain socked, you know, sports but he, hero. Yeah. He turned, hasn't spoken to but, Mass GOP about this yet. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's, let's leave him for Kirk another Schilling, another podcast. But, you, know, <laughs> you may know him as the He has show. his own. Back, the, my, my, my point being that Dan Wolf. He doesn't just check the boxes. Dan Wolf's a really liberal dude. Uh, Really liberal dude. And I I don't want to say that he's more or less, because I don't exactly know where Seti Warren is. Uh, I know him as an executive and a mayor. Uh, What his gubernatorial platform and campaign looks like, I'm not really sure. But if we're we're to the point where you have a Dan Wolf who's talking about you know, wage equity and the 1% and yeah, he's uh, Elizabeth wealth, Warren-esque, isn't wealth he? inequity. He is very Elizabeth Warren-esque. Uh, is, is he going to run to the right, I mean, sorry, to the left of, of a SETI Warren? It's way too early to that, tell that's what really he's going to be. But there's going to be a very, very strong left in this Democratic primary. The last, time, the last time he looked into running for governor, uh, he was was possibly going to have to yield, refresh me, uh, Andy, tell me if I'm right, yield control of Cape Air, or was he going to have to divest himself and put it in some sort of... Uh, that was a mess. Essentially, yeah, the, ethics, the, ethics, yeah. the Ethics Commission said you can't run and be uh, the owner of Cape Air because Cape Air leases space at Logan, even though there's no... Uh, everyone a, everyone, everyone the same contract. Yeah. Um, and the Ethics Commission went back several months later and revise those regs that would allow him to run and continue to serve as yeah. his state senator, but he missed his window. Yeah, he thought about it in 2013. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I will add, uh, the Elizabeth Warren conversation and the Elizabeth Warren uh, addition to the whole equation, I am so curious to see whether or not she lends her star power to the Democratic gubernatorial candidate. You know, depending on who it is, um, you know, can Elizabeth Warren use her star power to really raise this gubernatorial candidate against Charlie Mm. Baker? We talk a lot about how the Democratic leadership and the mayor have a very collegial relationship with the Republican governor. Yes. We can't really say that about Elizabeth Warren. They kind of keep to their own corners. They've never really had the opportunity to disagree 
all that much. And and when and when given the opportunity, Charlie Baker really goes out of his way. Number one, to not say her name, and number two, <laughs> seriously, if, if you like, if really? you listen to the tape, he he, he avoids say not saying Elizabeth That's Warren's fascinating. name. It's amazing. Um, but it's like they they kind of dance around it. And um, what was it on the campaign trail? Elizabeth Warren, you know, called out Charlie Baker for not saying more about Trump. And you know, there was some pushback, you know, to Elizabeth Warren saying, you know, oh, what more could Charlie Baker have done? So. That it's a, I think that's a little bit of an opening into what we might see, but you know how how closely will Elizabeth Warren be associated with an issue in her home state? Um, how important is it for her yeah. to see Democrats retake the corner office? And I think that's really a reflection of her own local um, aspirant or her you know her local attention versus her national attention. Or she just campaigns nationally, raises eight gazillion dollars. And you know, cruises to re-election based on her being the voice of the opposition. But yeah, but will she? But will she boost other people? Lauren, you yeah. mentioned Maura and Healy a little bit ago, and we got to talk about Maura Healy and whether she could actually end up running against Baker. I had assumed for a long time that this wasn't something that could happen; that it was sort of a, a Democratic pipe dream. Because uh, Mike, you talk about all the Democrats who have great relationships with Governor Baker. She, I would have put at the top of the list, uh, going back to their collaboration on. Legislation. You're, okay, so you're, by the way, uh, disabused. Well, speaker's I think the top of the list. Speaker's <laughs> the top of the list. Okay, but she, they got along, fair to say they got along quite yeah. well on most issues. Yeah. And yet, she, I thought, by her standards, was unusually pointed in saying that the governor was not doing enough after President-elect Trump picked Steve Bannon mm-hmm. as his uh, chief advisor in the White House. She said, this is not a case where it makes sense to say, well, let's wait and see what happens, because we already know what Steve Bannon is. And he's, I'm paraphrasing here, a de facto white supremacist who's going to be operating in this you know, position of, of great power in the White House. So mm-hmm. that was when I sort of raised my eyebrows and thought, oh, maybe she really is thinking about this. Um, is that excessive tea leaf reading on my part or not? Um, no, I don't think it's excessive. Uh, I would say that any um, Democratic politician, you know, a liberal politician that finds themselves in the position that she is, she's only been in office for you know, two years now, um, she's still building her own political brand. And I would say that if you're a Democrat, you have to be as hard as possible and call out you know, Bannon and uh, a lot of the other Trump appointees because they really do appear to be beyond the pale to you and, and your supporters especially. Um, just from being a very cynical like fundraising base uh, kind of point of view, you've you got to be able to say, oh, Steve Bannon is beyond the pale and we can't possibly accept him. To take a step forward is what you're saying, Adam, is to criticize the governor yep. for not being quite on the same page there. That might be a sign of conflict to extrapolate that out two years from now or one year from now where she's a viable candidate against him. I don't know. She, she reads the same numbers. She knows how popular he is in the state. Um, he, would have to be, he would have to be super vulnerable for any current office holder to, to jump in. Andy Metzger? Well, I think uh, Maura Healy versus Charlie Baker would need to be a real ideological campaign. And I don't think Charlie Baker's really left himself open to too much of that, although, again, with Trump being president and him being and called to questions. respond to, to, to what happens in mm-hmm. the, yeah, ballot the ballot questions, questions. that mm-hmm. could happen. But I think she's already ruled out a run in 2018. I'm not... Has she she's, ruled out, ruled out, or has she, yeah, Lauren? I mean, she's, so she's stayed remarkably on message. She's another one where it's, you know, she's very happy with the job that she has. And I don't know. I think if I were more Healy, 
her job is literally to slay bad guys. What's wrong with another four years of doing that? I mean, she's she's really not going anywhere. Um, I don't. Know, I just I just don't see it. Yeah, and that's you know what. Depending she's on young. what happens in the first Trump term, I mean, she's already established that hotline for people who report incidents of. Uh, 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 what's the right term? Hateful acts committed yeah. post-election. So if she, if and and here in silly season, I'm imagining a important hypothetical time. scenario here. In, <laughs> during, as is always the case in, in important time, <laughs> if if we had say a couple of years of Charlie Baker gritting his teeth and trying to maybe make measured criticisms of President Trump as someone who has to work with the Trump administration. And as to your point, Lauren, if we had conversely Maura Healy as she who slays bad guys and is the most full-throated defender of liberalism here in Massachusetts in that same two-year period, that's not going to hurt her down the road. That's only going to make her stronger, right? Yeah, I mean, she she gets to she's like she's like the Massachusetts Elizabeth Warren, like. Oh, <laughs> well, the irony of that way. statement is amazing. No, but, oh, but she that. gets to but she gets to kind of stay within state lines and you know obviously do things for Democratic candidates in other parts of the state. But she kind of gets to be this voice, and she has these followers, and you know she has these supporters, and the Democratic Party loves her. Yeah. Um. Obviously that that creates a pretty solid platform to run for whatever she wants to run for in state. But I don't know if I were her, it, it just doesn't, especially now, you know, maybe there would have been an opportunity in a Hillary Clinton, Washington, DC, but that's clearly not happening. All right. We got four minutes to talk about everybody else who we've neglected up <laughs> until now. So take it away guys. The Andy, mayors? who are we missing? I'm, I'm through. I, I don't know. There's no one. I mean, I guess it is still early going, but I, has anyone I else? Mean, Jamie up? Eldridge, Senator Jamie Eldridge. Joe Curtitone, Somerville Mayor, Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll. Any of these congressmen who are women who don't want to be in Congress anymore? Yeah. Wait, um, who are we talking about? <laughs> Catherine Clark, we've been waiting, Seth we've been, Walton, Joe Kennedy III. We've been waiting for Capuano to run for governor for the last, you know, four cycles. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen, but uh, it, it could But it could no one else has made any moves that make you think, oh, right. they're Wh- going for Which it. is why this, this list is so short. And but that's I mean, why it's so silly. I mean, people look at Jamie Eldridge because so he important. is like the, li- he, you know, he's, he's, he's like the liberal leader of the Senate. No <laughs> Jamie way. Eldridge, by the way, who, who uh, you know, I, I appreciate his thoughtfulness and aggression on social media in particular. That's, I'm talking about aggression on social media. He's a guy who I find it sort of hard to imagine running a statewide campaign, giving rousing right. speeches that, you know, get voters standing oh, up and applauding. Uh, no disrespect to, his, to him at all, but uh, can you really see him as a ticket topper for the Dems? No. Could you could you see Bernie Sanders? You know, More like, so. I mean, way. it's easy to say in it, retrospect. It's, it's, yeah, but. exactly. But a lot of people kind of dismissed him of that. Honestly, maybe uh, Senator Eldridge has some kind of retail fire burning within him that, that I don't know. long con. Yeah, who, who knows? I mean, Right or now, you, I would can't say... Can't you do training for that type of stuff, too? Say, yeah, probably. <laughs> right, you need to hire John Walsh, though. And we <laughs> cruise right over Curtis Tony, who I actually find sort of an intriguing potential prospect because I see more uh, charisma and um, pugilistic potential in him than in some of the others. Am I wrong, Lauren? No, and it's it's fascinating. So he he clearly is another person, like Seti Warren, where clearly he, he wants something else. He He's taking these very vocal stands, whether it's about Black Lives Matter or Sanctuary Cities, or even he was like recently on real-time sports with Brian Gumbel yes. talking about concussions, which like... And banning tackle football in right, Somerville, which, right? Which is Someday. kind of like a little bit of a head-scratcher, but you don't do things like that unless you want publicity. Well, and in 2013, he was at the Democratic State Convention with 
Curtitoni stickers, and he never really made it clear what he was thinking about. But clearly, he's he's got something else in mind. He's he's the longest-serving mayor of Somerville right wow. now. Huh. And, How long has he served? Uh, I think since 2004. Wow, really? So. Oh, I had no Fun idea. Fact. Yeah. Are you a, are you a today. constituent, by the way? Uh, no longer. I was. Uh, okay. And right. I covered him at City Hall. So I agree with your pugilistic uh, description <laughs> there. <laughs> and there were some fun meetings. Uh, <laughs> just to close out our important time discussion here, what for any of these Democrats? Mike, you talked about how there's going to be ideological variation if there's a crowded Democratic field. But what might the message be if you are someone who's jumping in to run against Charlie Baker? Is it, you know, we've already talked about the ambiguities raised by what Trump does or doesn't do. So obviously that could be part of it. Charlie Baker didn't stand up to President Trump when he did X, Y, or Z. But what else would the message be? I don't know. What is the uh, the left's equivalent of the Tea Party movement of 2010? If that was a reaction to the Obama uh, election of 08, two years later, the midterms that you know swung Congress away from the White House, uh, is, is that kind of what we're looking at nationally, where there might be a, a liberal backlash against Trump? I mean, to Lauren's earlier point, we don't know uh, what the hell a Trump White House looks like. Um, what that could mean locally, it could mean that there is maybe this populist left, leftist, uh, you know, not uprising, but, you know, a wave that could end up with a number of liberals in the House of Representatives, and you add in that uh, the ballot measure on the tax and Elizabeth Warren's re-election charging up the, the, the left, um, it, it, could be, it could be a fight for who is the most liberal. Warren, and and honestly, I think Charlie wins. <laughs> if, 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 uh, if the Democrats nominate the most liberal, uh, the moderate Republican in this state usually gets it. Lauren, um, I saw you nodding enthusiastically, but Mike, all the stuff Mike was talking about, which I think is very important, it's mm-hmm. also structural. I'm wondering, for, for the hypothetical Democratic nominee, yeah. whoever it is, running against Charlie Baker, what's the case they make against him? I mean, at the end of the day, you have to prove that you will be better than Charlie Baker. Right. How, how do you prove that you can do the job better than Charlie Baker or that he doesn't do the job? I think ideologically, just to jump back to that a little bit, the, the millionaire's tax ballot question is going to frame that conversation far more than I think we really realize. I mean, it really is going to be a spectrum of liberal and, and you know, this amount of money being being put back into the state and whether or not people support that. This is the uh, ballot question that you mentioned up top, Andy, right? Right, which isn't yet on the ballot, but looks like it's going right. to be. In part because the legislature wants this to be a citizen-driven push so that members of the legislature don't actually have to attach oh. their... N- well, they have to vote on it again. But, yeah. but they have to sort of the con- ratify it and let the people drive it. Well, right? they can say, I'm voting on this to put it to the people on the ballot. I'm not necessarily in support or opposed. I guess what I'm trying to say is it seems to be a case where they are more amenable to the idea of demac- direct democracy than they sometimes yeah, are. Yeah, they don't need to pass a tax. Right. Exactly, exactly. All right, and you get the last word. If you are a Democrat, if you're the Democratic nominee running against Charlie Baker, what might the case against the governor be? Well, Char- Charlie Baker, early in his first term, bought, essentially, the MBTA. When, when members of his own party wanted to put it into receivership because it was so bad, and, you know, the message from the administration is, wait, these things take time. It's the capital investments we're trying to make, but... I don't see anecdotally a lot of real improvement on the ground at the T, and he he really did did buy it. It wasn't on his, it wasn't part of his campaign platform, but after the snows, he said, "Let's go in and and it's essentially his T right now." And we have a winter coming up in which the T could 
misbehaved as it's. So the answer to your question do. is the weather. We'll decide. <laughs> 2018. There we go. Important time election. All right. I think uh, I think that's going to do it for this convo. Thanks to all of you, Mike Dean from WGBH News, Andy Metzger from State House News Service, and Lauren Dzenski from Politico, Massachusetts. Great points, all of you. Thanks to all the people who've taken the time to listen to this and didn't turn off when we noted that it is, in fact, silly season. This was a delightful um, conversation. <laughs> uh, I am Adam Riley, and that is going to do it for this installment of The Scrum. Thanks again. Thank you.